thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Husky Talk. We are your hosts, Joe Snodgrass and Brady Jacobs. This week, we will be speaking about drop bags with Adidarod rookie, Tim Mudo. Hello, Tim. Hi, how's it going? Good. How are you today? Uh, good. <laughs> thank you yeah, for everything's being... going good here. Thank you for being on our show this week. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. We'd like to start off every show by asking all of our guests who or what inspired you to get involved in Iditarod. Well, I worked for a, a handled for a dog musher in 2013 and 2014, and that was kind of my introduction to the sport and to Alaska and all that stuff. Before that, I had I had never even heard of Iditarod, so. You know, I, I didn't even know it existed. I thought that it was a, kind of like a, an event that happened 100 years ago and never happened again. So um, I guess just getting involved with her and, and working with her was, was what kind of got the ball rolling. And I helped her train her Iditarod team that year. So that was four years ago now or so. And uh I guess since then I've been on the path to the point where this year is, is my turn to do it. <laughs> so I would say that she she inspired me, I guess. Um, who are you talking about? Her name is Karen Hendrickson, and she's run six or seven times. She's not in it this year, but uh, she's done it a number of times herself. All right, thank you for sharing. Yeah. Our main topic of this episode is going to be about drop bags. Before we get into that, we are going to ask you a few questions about yourself. When did you get, start mushing? Uh, that that winter that I was just talking about, so 2013, that fall, I bought a, a one-way ticket up to Alaska, and um, and I showed up, and Karin picked me up from the airport and brought me to the kennel, and that was the first time I'd seen sled dogs, first time I'd been to Alaska. Um, so she, you know, in the fall... It's we don't have any snow, so we can't go on the sleds. But we train the dogs on four wheelers, and you know it was like the day after I arrived, we I hopped on a four wheeler with her, and she took me out and kind of showed me for a few days how it's done. And then after that, I got to drive the team for a few days, and she sat behind me and kind of coached me and helped me with any problems I had. And then after that, I kind of had my own team and my own four wheeler and. I followed behind her and her team and her four-wheeler, and uh, that's kind of how I learned. That was kind of the progression. It felt really fast. It was very intimidating at first, and trying to drive, you know, 14 dogs, and I had just moved up there two weeks ago, And um, but, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like the fear of the unknown. You're, you're all nervous and, and afraid because it's something new and exciting, and you've never done it before, but as you as you do it and you experience the things that you're afraid of, it, it becomes less frightening and more exciting and fun. So, Thank you. Yeah. Do you have any other mentors that have helped you get to where you are? Oh, boy, yeah. <laughs> I got lots of them, I guess. I worked for Brent Sass for three years in a row, and he was a big help to me in, in helping me get all my qualifiers done and, and – uh, you know, when you live with somebody and work and train with them for three years, you learn a lot from them. And so I would say that he's been a pretty good, big influence. Um, I am living and training with 
with a busher named Linwood Fiedler right now. And he's been a, a big help for me and showing me how he does things. And I worked for him this past summer, so I got to know him pretty well. So um, probably Linwood and Brent and Karen have all played pretty good equal roles. And it's been really beneficial to work with three different people because everybody does everything differently. And so getting to see how three different successful mushers run their kennels and run their dogs, it's really nice to be able to kind of pick from each one of them things that I like and things that I think work, be able to implement them. So those three have definitely been mentors for me. All right, thanks for sharing. As a rookie this year, what is your main goal for the Iditarod? Well, my main goal is to get as many of these young dogs to the finish line looking really good as possible. You know, we're not we're not out there to win the race or to, I mean really my I have no focus on making any sort of placement as far as where I end up in the pack or where we end up in the pack. So um it's it's more of a it's more of a training run, I guess, for these younger dogs. I got half of my team is pretty young dogs of Linwoods, and you know he would like to see these dogs finish and have a really good time, so that two years from now they can go and be a competitive dog team. So uh, the goal is to go out and have fun and, and teach these dogs that it's a fun thing to do and that they can do it and that there is a finish line and and. Um, and not try to not try to go out and compete and do any of that stuff. So it's it's mainly just to have a good time and teach these young dogs. That's nice. When not working with dogs, what do you do in your free time? Oh boy, that's a tough question. Um, right now, I don't really have a whole lot of free time. I mean, I wake up in the morning and I have breakfast and I have a cup of tea and then I go out and I feed the dogs. And I clean up after them, and after that, I'm either getting ready to go for a dog run or I'm working on my Iditarod logistics, you know, getting all of my uh, – working on that. I really don't have very much free time. To be honest with you, I, I spend my free time doing stuff to prepare for the race, whether it's, you know, physically packing bags or – it might be, you know, sitting down and creating a list or coming up with plans and things like that. So right now I don't have much free time, and that's okay. That's that's what it takes to run a race like this. you got to really devote everything you have and all of your time and energy into it. So Thank you. Okay, so now we are going to shift our focus and talk about drop bags. Okay. First of all, can you tell our audience what exactly drop bags are? Sure. Yeah, they're... Um, Basically, resupply bags, it's, you know, the race is a 1,000 miles, and there's about 19 checkpoints that you can have supply sent to ahead of time. And uh, these bags are packed with dog food, human food, dog booties, extra parts and pieces for sleds in case things get broken. Uh you know, hand warmers, all kinds of stuff like that, everything you can imagine. And uh, they get sent out along the trail so that when we pull into a checkpoint, these bags are already there waiting for us. And I can 
stop and look through the bags and take what I want and I can leave things behind. Um, you know, the drop bags are, 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 uh, generally I'm going to try to use what I send out, but there's inevitably going to be things that I just kind of either leave at the checkpoints or I get to put them in what we call return bags. And those things get to be sent back home for me so that after the race, I get them back. Thanks for sharing. Can you explain to us how you figured out how much to put in the drop bags? <laughs> I'm still figuring it out right now. It's still part of my, you know, everyday to-do list, kind of figuring it out. But I have had the benefit of working for people like Karin Hendrickson and Brent Sass who've run these races. And I've been an integral part in helping them pack their drop bags. So I get to see what they've done. And uh, that's been huge. And also these these qualifying races that you have to do, you have to run these shorter races. They give you a good groundwork of what it takes to run dogs these longer distances. Um, but to be honest with you, um, I, yesterday I, I sat down and, and redid my list and, uh, and had to go over it and, and tweak a few things and figure out that there's... Um, there's some good trail reports on the Iditarod website that a guy named Don Bowers had written for basically every stretch of the trail. And I've been studying those and you can go through and he gives you these little tips about what the trail conditions might be like, which will give you advice on, you know, maybe there's certain checkpoints that runner plastic should be sent to because the trail before that checkpoint might've been really bad which means you might lose some runner plastics. So picking up on little hints and tips like that um, help. Um, there are certain things that I'm going to send to every single checkpoint, no matter what, like hand warmers and new gloves that I want to have or human food and meals like that. I'm going to send to every single checkpoint, no matter what. But there are certain checkpoints that talking to your friends who've run the race before and they tell you like, Oh, you know, you want to send a bag of ice to the Rhone checkpoint because there's no water there. And there's usually not even any snow for you to melt for the dog. So, um, it really helps to have friends that have done the race and, and to make good connections and network with people that have done it before. Cause they have all that kind of insider info that it's really hard to find elsewhere. So, um, you know, I am lucky to have some friends who are in those positions and they're helping me out. Um, I can't imagine not having those networks. You'd probably make a lot more mistakes and learn the hard way. So, Thank you. Yeah. What kind of food do you pack for both you and the dogs? Well, for the dogs, um, there's an assortment of different types of meat that they eat. Uh, it's usually some sort of a red meat, like a beef product. Um, and I'm going to send probably a good amount of just regular red meat and then a kind of like a mixed blend meat for them, which contains red meat, but it also has some extra added fat. Um, so I'm going to send some of that. I'm probably going to try to send out some fish as well, some salmon, which 
doesn't have a whole lot of punch as far as calories and things like that, but it's, it just kind of gives variety and the fish usually has a lot more moisture in it. So it's also good for hydration. That's more of a snack for when it's warm outside. That's tends to be a better snack for the dogs. Um, that's just the meat side though. They also, the base of their diet is going to be a kibble, a commercial kibble, kind of the typical, what normal people think of when they think of dog food, but it's, it's high grade. This stuff is is not something you want to feed to your the dog that sleeps on the couch in your house. This is a, a food that's packed with all the fatty acids and, and, and proteins that that really are gonna help these athletes get down the trail. So that's the that's the dog food that's going down. And there's other supplements and, and powders and things like that that I'll send that help the dog's digestive systems and, and help them in that way. Um, for me, I'm also still kind of trying to figure that out. I, I, the other day I packed and cooked up some, some sort of like English muffins with eggs and bacon and cheese and I vacuum sealed and those are freezing for me right now. So that's one thing I'm going to have. Um, I made a bunch of cinnamon rolls. I made like 30 cinnamon rolls the other day cause I like those and I'm going to eat those. Um, I'm a big fan of soup, so when I go to town next time, in the next couple of days, I'm going to get a bunch of ingredients to make a huge amount of soup, and I'm going to vacuum seal and pack that up, and uh, I will probably send all kinds of powdered drinks, you know, kind of like the little packets of Crystal Light that I can drop in my water just to give me a little bit of flavor for that, um, and... Uh, you know, probably some sort of trail mix as well. And um, I'm open to suggestions. So if you guys have any suggestions of what I should bring, what I've heard from people is that they're at, they lose their appetite on this big race. They, they tend to not be able to eat anything, even things that they really like. So I've never had that problem, and I'm always not very picky at all. I can eat everything and anything. So um uh, really hoping I don't run into that problem, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I'm going to try to pack all sorts of different things, nuts and salty things and chocolate and all kinds of sweet things as well. So just in case I do run into that problem, you know, just like the dogs, I got to have some variety. I have to have some variety as well. Thanks for sharing. Would you say it's hard to keep make sure there's enough calories for you and your dogs? I'd say that the... You know, the, the dogs, it seems to be more scientific. You know, it's they you basically are told that the dogs are going to be able to burn and consume ten to 12,000 calories every day. And so when you know that, you know how much meat to pack in order to provide for that. Um, what a lot of people say and what they've told me their advice is to also focus on yourself and work really hard on keeping yourself hydrated and fed because if I'm not feeding myself and I'm not hydrating I'm going to just be like a lump I'm not going to be able to I'm not going to have the energy and ability to take care of the dogs which is paramount so it seems on the outside or on the surface like it's a, a selfish ambition to focus on my own hydration and well-being 
but the reason that you want to do that is so that you can take care of the dogs because <laughs> you can say, oh, all I'm going to do is focus on the dogs. But if you do that, you forget about yourself. You're not going to be able to take care of the dogs. So that's definitely a big goal of my own, a personal goal is to take really good care of myself. Thank you. Mm-hmm. We know that the bags have to be under 50 pounds. What is the reason behind that? Well, it's because it's hard to lift a bag that weighs over 50 pounds. You know, it's you got these people that are out there that are volunteering for the race, and if they have to lug around these bags that are, you know, 70 pounds or something, they got to lift so many of these bags. You know, think about how many are being sent out. I'm probably going to send, like, oh, God, I'm going to send, you know, at least 50 bags out. And there's, you know, how many mushers signed up right now? Over 65 mushers. That's so many bags. These people have to lift them. So I think it's just probably setting a limit. Otherwise, people are going to pack them super full, you know. So they're like, well, 50 pounds is a healthy limit to set. And, you know, you're going to send more than 50 pounds to each checkpoint. So now that that weight is just going to be divided into easier to manage bags for these people to... To, to handle and all the volunteers because they're going to end up into some of these checkpoints where um, these bags are going to have to be unloaded from airplanes and imagine trying to carry or drag a 50 pound bag in a bunch of really deep snow that hasn't been locked on yet all winter. Um, so <laughs> I'm sure, sure that has something to do with it. Thanks for sharing. With the Iditarod starting March 3rd, when will you start packing your drop bags? Well, uh, middle of February is when the food drop is. That's when I have to have it all done. So, um, you know, basically I'm getting everything organized right now so that a few days before food drop, I can put it into the bag. So probably somewhere around February 10th or so, I'll actually start physically putting my bags together. The problem with doing all that stuff too early is – Things could change. I could change my mind about certain things between now and then. Um, if it gets really warm here, if I've cut all of my dog meat up and I put it into the bags and then it's sitting outside and then all of a sudden it thaws out and we get temperatures that are up into the 30s, well, that meat is just going to – it'll thaw and then it'll refreeze. And when I – you know, I have all these perfectly little pieces of meat cut up into really small chunks so it's easy for the dogs to eat. But if it thaws and refreezes now, it's just a solid brick. So I'll wait. I'll wait basically until a couple days before I have to send it out, which is February 15th. So. Thank you. How long does it usually take to pack your drop bags? Well, it will take, you know, to physically just to pack the drop bags with all the stuff that I've already prepared, it'll It'll be, a, you know, a full day's worth of work. And, uh, you know, we'll, what I like to do and what I've done with the people I've helped in the past is we kind of just lay out on the ground outside all of the bags by checkpoint so you can have a visual of it all. And, uh, and then I like to go out and I lay all the stuff that's going to the bags on top of the bags that are laying on the ground. And, you know, I'll have my master list of all the stuff that needs to go everywhere and make sure it's all there and then start putting 
putting all the stuff into the bags. And then, of course, you have to weigh them because, like we said just before, they can't be over 50 pounds. But you need to have at least 50 pounds per checkpoint. So, you know, if there's a checkpoint where where you're kind of not planning on even staying or going through, you still have to send 50 pounds worth of stuff to that checkpoint. So it takes a long time to just set all those things out, make sure everything's in the right place. And then it's all about stuffing the bags and then sealing the bags, which takes a little bit of time. If it's cold, everything takes a little bit longer. You know, in the past, I've helped people and all we've done is we've done zip ties to put the bags together. But what I'm going to try this year and what Linwood has has given me a recommendation are these bungees to keep the bags closed. It's Imagine like a, a little bungee cord with a plastic toggle on the end, and that'll be wrapped around and tied. And what that means is that I will not have to use my knife to cut any drop bags open, which is going to be huge because it seems like every year every other year some musher has to scratch from the race because they cut themselves with their knife so as few times as i have to pull my knife out and use it is going to be way better so and it, it, you know that'll be that'll make packing the bags a little bit quicker it'll just make unpacking the bags a lot quicker so and safer so i just kind of went off on a rant on your question but it'll take it'll take you know probably a good four or five hours of straight work just to get them all packed and everything thank you can you tell us how the drop bags make it easier to care for your dogs sure yeah it's um i mean it's it's essential it's um in order to to go that far you have to have so much so much supply so many supplies and, and food and all that kind of stuff you definitely cannot carry all that stuff from the very beginning of the race. So it's it really makes it important to to have all that stuff waiting for you when you get to the different checkpoints and your sled be relatively light. Be able to just kind of resupply as you go every fifty miles or so. Um, you know, but also just kind of packing the bags accordingly and knowing what's in each bag is going to help out a lot too so that when you come to a checkpoint and I have three bags that have my last name on them and they're numbered one of three, two of three, three of three, I should be able to know which bag has what stuff in it so that I can get into it and get what I need, take care of the dogs a lot more efficiently. Thank you for sharing. Do you have anything yep. else you would like to add about drop bags? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, well, I guess a few of the tips that I've picked up over the years from all the different people that I've worked with is, is to try to distinguish your bag from everybody else's. Cause when you pull up into a checkpoint, there's going to be a pile of bags and some of them are going to be yours, but most of them are not. And when you're that tired and it's dark, it's going to be hard to find which ones are yours. And so some of the little tips that I've gotten are to like spray paint the tops of the bags a certain color and kind of, to kind of color code your bags. Um, another tip that I've picked up is if I want to pull into a checkpoint and let's say that I want to take a rest at that checkpoint, well, I'll pull into it. I'll check in. All of the drop bags are going to be in a pile next to the team wherever I pull in. 
and then I have to get all of my bags. Let's say I have, you know, 70, 80, 100 pounds worth of stuff that I have to drag to my camp spot. Now, what I could do is I could go park my team and then walk all the way back to my bags and have to pull all that stuff over to my camp spot. But what I've learned is that what you can do is I'm going to put a little piece of rope and I'm going to basically weave it and tie it into the bag itself. So what I can do is I can pull up to the bags. I can take my snow hook that's attached to my sled and I can hook it into that piece of rope and the dogs will basically pull all my drop bags with me to wherever I'm going to go camp and set up. So that would, I mean, that's a game changer. That is, that is huge because before that, all you know, basically what you're doing is trying to lump your, your drop bags onto your sled and hope that you can balance them until you get to your camp spot. But you know, sometimes they fall off. And the last thing you want to do when you're that tired and that, you know, hungry and sleep deprived is have to haul a bunch of weight, you know, a really far distance. So those are just some of the tips that I've learned over the years. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, Tim, we are starting a new segment of our show this week called Lightning Round. We are going to ask you some quick questions about, about you that you need to answer as quick as you can. <laughs> okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. What's your favorite dog? You turn. What's your favorite book? Oh, boy, my favorite book, Yukon Alone. Horror or comedy movies? Horror. Favorite drink? Ooh, green tea. Cake donuts or long johns? Ooh, long johns, good question. Skittles or M&Ms? Skittles. Football or basketball? Basketball. Favorite fruit? Bananas. The last part of our show is Musher Mount Rushmore. You know Mount Rushmore, right? Yes. <laughs> if you were asked to replace the four presidents' faces on Mount Rushmore to faces that have made a huge impact on the Iditarod, who would you choose? You can choose mushers, volunteers, dogs, really anything. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would pick Joe Reddington. Put his face up there, obviously. Uh, I'd put his son, Joey Reddington, up there, who's a big help and friend of mine and a mentor of mine. Um, let's see. Who else should I put up there? The problem is I just don't know so many of these people that have been so influential. Um, I put Susan Butcher's face up there. She won the race, you know, four times. Um, let's see. i got to pick a good dog. I put U-Turn's face up there, too, just to put a, a good dog face up. So. Okay, thanks for sharing. Yep. Thank you so much for being on our show, Tim. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Special thanks to Tim Mudo for being on our show this week. Credit to Hobo Jim for our theme song, the Adidas Trail song.